this month, we're going to be looking at some more, what I call overlooked fruit of the Spirit. We did a sermon series on this back in November. I had to look it up because I couldn't remember how long ago it was. But it was back in November of last year. We did uh, some of the overlooked fruit of the Spirit, the ways the Holy Spirit can work and create good things in our lives, in addition to the ones that are mentioned in Galatians 5.22. Because most people can identify the nine fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, those are pretty, pretty well standard. We sing songs about them. We know them off the top of our heads. But the Holy Spirit doesn't limit himself to just those nine fruit of the Spirit. As I mentioned when I did the sermon series in November, typically in the Bible when we have lists, the lists are never meant to be uh, complete lists. They are mostly representational. Uh, you can see this when we look at spiritual gifts. Uh, the spiritual gift lists in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, uh, none of them are complete they are mostly Paul just saying these are some of the ways the Spirit works. So when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, when Paul mentions them in Galatians 5 and says these are nine ways that the Holy Spirit works, they are not the only nine fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does way more than we could ever ask or imagine. So after I preached in November, I thought about more. More kept coming to mind. More fruit of the Spirit. Ways the Holy Spirit works that aren't listed in Galatians 5. And I came up with four more than the ones we looked at last year. Last year, we looked at four. We looked at the fruit of hope, the fruit of wisdom, the fruit of humility, and the fruit of thankfulness or gratitude. So those four we looked at, and we saw how the Holy Spirit creates them in our lives and why we need hope, why we need wisdom, humility, and thankfulness. And this month, we're doing four more of the overlooked fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we'll be looking at the fruit of courage, of contentment, of brokenness, and freedom. And each of these are a crucial work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And even if I never talked about them, even if I never preached a sermon series on these, God would be creating courage in your life and freedom in your life and brokenness in your life. You may not have been able to identify it as readily, but you would sense that God was doing these things in your life. I want to talk about them, uh, these four other overlooked fruit of the Spirit, because they're important to our walks with Jesus. And they're even more important now that we're dealing with the pandemic. Uh, we feel less in control of our lives than ever before because we're limited on where we can go, what we can wear. Uh, some of us have to wear masks to work. We don't have choices about that. Some of us can't even go into work because our works are closed. We feel like we're trapped in our houses. And we need to be reminded that even though life is not normal right now, and even when it does get back to normal, it won't look the same as when it did before. I anticipate there will be some changes. But even when we don't feel in control of our lives, we need to remember that God is still in control. And God is at work. And God is at work in us right now. This morning, God is at work in us. And he wants us to bear fruit. And one of the fruit that he wants us to bear is courage. When I think, back, when I think of courage, a story from my childhood comes to mind. I sent out a, an email this week. Did you guys watch the YouTube video? It was linked in it? You guys are nodding. That's good. Dana is nodding. John is nodding. You guys are tech guys. Okay, I'll explain it then. It's fine. I'm reminded of a story from my childhood when I think about courage. Uh, back in the mid to late 80s, when I was very, very small, uh, we had this archaic device for watching cartoons. It was called a Betamax, or just beta is what we call them. 
and it was like a VHS player. And I say it's like a VHS player because that was the first format war that I remember participating in. VHS eventually won that format war between Betamax and VHS, because VHSs could record longer and had better quality. But Beta was cheaper. So I'll let you guess which one my family grew up with. We grew up with Beta, and we had some Disney cartoons on this Betamax player. And one of my favorite old Beta tapes was this old, old thing, and it was Silly Symphonies. And on that was a tale called Lambert the Sheepish Lion. And I sent out the YouTube link to watch it. And even if, so if you watched it, you have a bit of a background for it. If you didn't watch it, let me briefly explain. Uh, Lambert is a lion who was delivered to the wrong family. Uh, he was delivered in a pack of sheep, of baby lambs, Lambert, lamb, that's where the confusion comes in. He was dropped off to live with sheep. So he ended up being raised, he's a lion who ended up being raised with sheep. He had a sheep for a mom, uh, he had sheep friends, but he was a lion physically. He, the, when he was a baby, when he was a cub, he would play with the other lambs and the other lambs would pick on him because he wasn't a lamb like they were. And he, he eventually learned to kind of act like a lamb, was, was the joke, is he's this big, huge lion, like three or four times as big as these other sheep. Huge, humongous, got teeth, got claws, got the whole mane and everything, and he's acting like a sheep. He's acting scared, he's acting sheepish, but he's got teeth and claws, and he's this lion who acts like a sheep. And the crux of the story comes one night when there's a wolf that attacks his flock. And this wolf attacks the flock, and of course the wolf grabs, and this is a Disney movie from the 50s, so they do this, the wolf grabs the mom by her leg and starts dragging her off, and she's calling for Lambert. And he looks and he sees this wolf dragging his mother off. And he's this humongous lion. And it's this scrawny little wolf dragging this mother sheep off. And she's calling, help me, help me. And he's just looking going, what do I do? And he runs and he hides and he buries his face in his paws. And all the other sheep have long, before, long since run off because they recognize the wolf coming. And he's terrified. And the wolf just drags his mother off and she's calling, help me, Lambert, do something. And finally... Just as he, she's about to get eaten, he looks up and he has this moment of revelation. He says, oh, I'm a lion. And he roars really loud and the wolf is terrified because he hears this lion roar. He said, wait a second, he's not supposed to act like that. So he runs out, knocks this wolf, he doesn't eat him because it's Disney. He knocks him over a cliff and <laughs> the wolf streams, goes over the cliff. And he rescues his mom. Of course, the mom has to be rescued. It's a Disney movie. They don't start killing off parents till later. Um, but the story encapsulates the major mode of thinking I want us to address this morning as we talk about courage is the difference between who we are and how we think of ourselves and as a result, how we act based on how we think of ourselves. And as we start to talk about courage and as I bring out the biblical points addressing courage, you'll start to see parallels between this story and what God says. And if you don't see those parallels, if you're just sitting there like, I don't see the connection, I'll bring it together at the end for you. In the first verse, when I want to talk about courage, there's one verse that comes to my mind above all others. It's Joshua 1.9. Joshua uh, is leading the Israelites to conquer the promised land. Joshua 1.9, and I've got these slides up here, and they'll be displayed on the screen uh, for those watching. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, 
Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it's a nice packaged version of God encouraging Joshua, putting courage into him, saying, go do what I've called you to do. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. And if you read the whole chapter, Joshua, 1, uh, Joshua chapter 1, read the entire chapter, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, not one time, not two times, but three times. So God tells Joshua, in the, uh, this is actually the third time he tells him this. It's in verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9. God says, be strong and courageous. And then if you look at the end of the chapter, look in verse 18 of chapter 1. God uh, has done commanding Joshua. The people go to Joshua and say, all right, Joshua, lead us into the promised land. Only be strong and courageous. So that means likely that the phrase be strong and courageous was a saying at the time that God was using for Joshua and the people then echoed those same words to Joshua. And, and if you look in Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, which is the book that comes right before Joshua in the Bible, Moses is ready to pass, is, uh, he's about to die, he's going to pass on his ministry to Joshua. And if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 and 23, the exact same words, be strong and courageous, are said to Joshua two more times. So that's six times in total that this phrase is repeated. In a span of a very, a very few chapters, it's like four chapters of the Bible, this phrase, be strong and courageous, pops up six times. So in the Bible, repetition is important. When God wants to make a point, he repeats something. If you remember uh, Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh had the dream two times which means it was important. He says, God's trying to get something across to you. He repeated it twice. And if you look in Isaiah, when the angels are in the presence of God, they say, holy, not once, not two times, but three times. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Meaning not just regular holiness, not just advanced holiness, but the holiest you can think of because it was repeated three times. So because Joshua hears this six times, that means we should really, 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 I've gone over six, really pay attention. <laughs> This is extremely important. God's not just like, hey, consider being strong and courageous. He says, I'm going to make sure that there are six times this is repeated. So that you get the point. And we know these promises in Joshua 1 are not just commands for Joshua. It's not just like, oh, Joshua heard that. Isn't that great? These commands in Joshua are for us too. These Old Testament promises are quoted in the New Testament as commands for the Christian life. So God doesn't, didn't just want Joshua to be strong and courageous. God wants us to be strong and courageous as well. And apparently he wants us to be at least six times more courageous than we already are right now. But what is courage? What is God telling Joshua to do in Joshua 1.9? Now let's think about Joshua for a second. What did Joshua have to do? What is his goal? Well, first he was helping Moses. He was Moses' assistant. Moses said, hey, I'm thirsty. He got him some water. He said, can you give me a sandwich? He made him a sandwich. He helped him out. Can you carry my staff? I'm a little tired. Joshua helped him out. But Joshua, in the book named after him, Joshua's mission was to lead the people into the promised land, to clear out the promised land, to clear out the Canaanites, and to take over the promised land. So he not only had to face the nations that he was going up against in war, so he had to put his life on the line over and over again. He also had to do God's work God's way. He couldn't just go in and say, all right, we're going to get these people first, then we're going to go get these people, then we're going to go get these people. 
He couldn't just decide for himself. He had to be in tune with God and say, all right, God, I'm doing this. I'm putting my life on the line and the lives of all these people on the line. He had to listen to God and do God's work exactly in God's way. He had to follow God's directions over and over and over again. Every single time was, no, don't go here, go over here. Nope, go over to this place. Now you're going to conquer this place. And he's not just doing this by himself. He's not just putting his life on the line over and over again and having to follow God for himself over and over again. He's leading it with a whole nation. He's the leader of his family, his wife and his kids. He's the leader of all of his friends. He's the leader of millions of people he's never met. He has to guide all of them in God's ways day after day, and he has to lead them in combat over and over again. Which, if you think about it, is an extremely large amount of responsibility to be placed on one guy. Right? I want you to go lead all of DFW in a march out to El Paso. That would be difficult by, on its, in its own, yeah. You have to lead millions of people or just walk. That would be too much for most of us. But Joshua has to lead him in combat. He has to listen to God the whole time he's doing this. It is a lot all heaped on Joshua's shoulders. He was the responsible party. And as he looks at all he has to do, he probably thinks, boy, I wish Moses were here. Moses had it figured out. By the time he, Moses was old, he's like listening to God, doing things God's way. Most of the time for Moses, no problem. He's pretty good at it. I wish Moses were here so he could do this. But he's got to do it himself. So he feels something in his heart as he looks out and thinks about this. Maybe as he's sitting in his tent at night, talking to his wife, he feels something. He feels frightened. He feels dismayed. He feels fearful. Can I do this? This is too much for me. There's no way I can accomplish this. He was fearful of death, of defeat, of misleading his people. What if, I, what if I hear God wrong? What if God says, go this way, and I go this way? What if I think I hear God saying this, but I'm not right? What if, what, what if those people have better weapons than we do? What if they have more people than we do? He felt fear, and his fear made him want to run away. And we have a word for those who allow fear to make them run away during a challenge. What do we call people who are fearful and run away when something challenges them? Cowards. Cowards are the opposite of courage. They let fear get the best of them. They run away from fights. They run away from responsibility. They run away from work. They run because they fear failing. Cowardice will not face any threat, no matter the potential reward. Cowardice operates out of a mindset of fear. And Lambert was a coward in the story I mentioned earlier. He was afraid. He wouldn't stand up for his mom, for his family. He was too scared. He said, there's no way I'm going to fight that wolf. I'm afraid of getting eaten by him. So he ran and he hid. And courageousness is the polar opposite of cowardice. Courage will stand and fight when cowardice runs away. Cowardice is unwilling to suffer, or at least to potentially face suffering. But courage is willing to suffer or at very, the very least to face potential suffering. And St. Augustine, I love Augustine, he defines courage this way. Courage is love readily bearing all things for the sake of the loved object. 
It's saying, I love this person so much, I will bear anything for him or for her. I love this country so much, I will bear anything for him or for her. I love this ideal, this, the idea of freedom, that I'll do anything for it. I will bear whatever pain or whatever problem comes my way because I love this so much. And as I thought about courage, I realized it has manifested in my life in a very specific way. Let me tell you a story about when I lived alone. I lived alone for a couple years before I got married. And I was not a fan of nighttime, we'll say. I would get scared laying in my bed. If I were playing video games and I heard a sound, I wouldn't care. But when something happened, when I would lay in my bed and I'd hear a sound in my house, or maybe outside my house, I'd be scared. I'd be filled with fear. My mind would start racing. What's going to happen? Daytime, I hear sounds in the house, and it's like, whatever. People can't hide in your house or outside your house in the daytime. Or so I thought. <laughs> but noises at night just filled me with fear and with dismay. If there were a creak in another room or a bump outside the house, I would lay in my bed, I'd pull my covers up to my chin and think, well, this is how I'm going to die. They're going to find me here in this bed, <laughs> and I'm going to be dead. I would be too terrified to go out and check, about, check on it. I wouldn't even walk into another room. I'd just be scared. Wouldn't go outside my house. I'd say, well, that's that axe murderer. I hope they make it quick. <laughs> Obviously, it never was an axe murderer because I'm still alive. <laughs> but I would be terrified of noises at night, living on my own. Didn't like it. Not a huge fan. But now, I don't live on my own anymore have a wife. I have three small children. But there are still bumps in the night, some of which I've had the pleasure of sleeping through, but I've been woken up to have someone else who sleeps beside me tell me, say, hey, I heard something. Please go check it out. <laughs> and I don't like it, guys. I don't like getting up to go check out these bumps in the night, to check out what that sound was in the other room, what that noise is outside. I don't like doing that. I like being alive. Big fan. And I don't like checking those out, but I love my family more. And I don't want anything bad to happen to them. So I would rather have something happen to me than have any of them hurt or killed. I don't want to be murdered. I don't want to be hurt. But I love my family and want them safe more than my, I want to give in to my fear. So I don't lie there in bed and say, Seth, can you get up? And go check and see if there's anybody outside. <laughs> what kind of dad would do that? No. I courageously get out of bed. I grab my lightsaber. Because at least if they're going to murder me, they're gonna, I'm going to go down swinging. <laughs> and I go check it out. Even though the worst thing I faced with bumps in the night is a possum on my fence. In Watauga, I opened up the, I was like, what is that noise? Opened up the door, saw this possum in my backyard. It was on top of my fence. I just closed the back door and said, nope, <laughs> went back inside. You have whatever you want, just get out of here. <laughs> but courage is not just getting up in the middle of the night to defend our families. Or going to war and facing a hostile army that wants to kill us. Courage manifests in a variety of ways in our lives. Courage could be facing a terrible job with a terrible boss. And going into work day after day because you love your family. But you really don't want to go into work, but you love your family more, and you want to pay, provide for your husband or your wife and your kids. So you go into work day after day, and that takes courage. Courage could be apologizing to somebody you've wronged. 
oh, I don't want to tell them I'm wrong. I don't want to apologize. I gotta, they're going to gloat and all that stuff. It takes courage to say, no, I'm going to do the right thing. I value truth and honesty more, so I'm going to apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. And be willing to accept their anger and their disappointment. Courage could be engaging a cold or a distant spouse. Being ready to face rejection for the hundredth time. But you say, you know what? I value a good relationship more than I value not being rejected or turned away again. And courage is ultimately a choice. Courage is not a feeling. Courage is not a rationalization. It's not in our hearts. It's not in our minds. It's in our wills. It's in our choice, our chooser. Wherever that is in us, our Courage is a choice. Our, heart, our hearts may be full of fear and doubt. And our minds may have a thousand reasons why we should just run away. But our wills force us to stay and fight when we'd rather want to run away. And that is courage. Courage is a decision. Courage is a choice to fight. A resolution to continue on and to keep going even when we're afraid. And as we look back at Joshua's life, we should see Joshua being told how to have courage. How was Joshua to get over the fact that he was fearful? How was Joshua to get over the fact that he really wished Moses was still around? How was Joshua to get past the fact that he's got to lead these few million people in the conquest of a promised land? How do I do that? Joshua 1.6. First time God tells this to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. That's great. But look at what he says right before that in verse 5. Nope, that's too many slides. Come on, slides, go back. Joshua 1, 5 and 6. No man shall be able to stand you before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. No man, these are promises God's making. No man will be able to stand against you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And later in the chapter, God reminds him, in verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Which I always thought, when I first read this, was reading this as a kid, uh, I thought it meant, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? That's what I thought God was saying. Haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? That's what I thought God was saying. But when I looked at this this week, I realized I had an epiphany. I was like, that's not what God's saying. God's saying, have I not commanded you? It's a reminder. Have I not commanded you to conquer the promised land? Have I not commanded you to succeed Moses? Have I not commanded you to lead my people? Haven't I already told you what you're going to be doing? When God asks, have I not commanded you? He's reminding Joshua of the fact that God himself had chosen Joshua as the leader and the champion of his people. God's endorsed him. And that is the reason for his courage. Joshua is to be strong and courageous because God is on his side. So when Joshua faces the difficulties of the conquest of the promised land, and if you've read the whole book of Joshua, you know there are many problems that he's going to face. People who don't listen. People who do things the wrong way. Walls that need walked around and falling down. There are many difficulties he has to overcome, but he was not to look at the difficulties and focus on the fear and the worry that he had. He was not to look at the problems, but he was instead to look at God. He was to remember that God was on his side. And in God's support, he was to find the strength to keep going. I can do this. 
Because God is on my side and he's told me to do it. And if God has told me to do this, then I must be able to do it. And the resolution to continue on because God is on his side, that is his courage. That is his strength. Not in the fact that he's a great leader. Not in the fact that he's a good, charismatic person. Not in the fact that he's a great military commander. But simply on the fact that God is on his side. Joshua still had, I believe, as he was conquering the promised land, he still had fear and dismay as he looked at all that he had to do, as he looked at all these cities he had to conquer, and all the people he had to fight. Fear, frustration. But God told him to focus on his divine support and the endorsement that he was given. And as a result, commit and decide that he was going to do what he needed to do. And that was how Joshua was to have courage, is to focus on the promises of God. And commit to do whatever God has commanded him to do. Don't listen to your fear. Don't listen to your doubts. Just commit in your will to obey God. And in that commitment, and in that decision, that would be strength and that would be courage. And the type of courage that God wants us to have requires us to focus on him, not on our problems. Because guys, we got a lot of problems in this life. The older I get, the more problems I have. Puff Daddy was right. More money, more problems. We got family problems. We got work problems. We got church problems. Yes, we have problems at church. We had several this morning. We're not able to stream on Facebook because problems. Tyler got a new camera, and it's not connecting because problems. Just stuff happens. We argue with, we, get, we have disagreements on how things should be run. Should we have no people here? Should we have tons of people here? Problems. We have health problems too. Everybody's concerned about their own health. We have so many problems in our lives that if we focus on the problems, we will become discouraged, dismayed, and fearful. You know people like this who don't focus on the good things in life but instead focus on the problems. All the myriad of ways things can go wrong. There's so many problems we have right now. For example, you could say my kids aren't turning out the way that I want. My marriage is cold. My marriage is distant. My job and my boss are terrible. Or I just got let go from my job and I wish I had a terrible boss and a terrible job. I'm going crazy, stuck in my house. Plus there's thousands of people more dying because of this pandemic. And if we focus on the problems, as long as we focus on the problems, we will keep being discouraged. And we'll either ignore our problems or we'll complain and we'll whine about them. And we act like sheep under attack by wolves. But I don't think, if I'm being honest with you guys, I don't think that's how God wants us to look at the problems in our life. I think ignoring our problems is not healthy. I think dismissing our problems also is unhealthy. I think we should look at our problems, acknowledge that they are problems, and say, yes, I agree this is a problem. Yes, this is something we should take seriously. But we should not focus on our problems. God wants us to take our eyes off of our problems and instead look at him. Acknowledge them and then say, what do you want me to do, God? I'm focusing on your strength and your help. And as we look at him, we'll be emboldened like lions. The strength and support God provides us is bigger than any problem we face. The strength and support that God provides is bigger than any problem we face. Even the biggest wolf that attacks us is no match for us if God's on our side. Right? It's got to be true. Either God is stronger than our problems 
or our problems are stronger than God. There's no third choice here. Either God's stronger or our problems are stronger. And if you're listening or sitting here right now, you're probably on board with the idea that God's stronger, right? So we are commanded to the truth that God is is mightier than any problem we face. Are we committed to that truth? We all should be. But believing that is easy. But here's where courage comes in. We can believe that God is stronger than our problems. We can say, yeah, God's bigger than this pandemic. Yeah, God's bigger than this lost job. Yeah, God's bigger than my kids or my wife or my husband or whatever. Yes, God is bigger than this problem. We can believe that and the believing that is easy. But the difficulty comes and where courage comes in is when God says, well, what are you going to do about it? That's the reason why I had you guys watch Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Lambert lived his whole life like a sheep. Even though he was a lion, had the whole lion deal about him. He lived like a sheep and he was fearful and unwilling to tackle his problems until he realized he was a lion. Then he had no problem fighting back because he saw the strength he had within himself. His focus wasn't on the wolf. He was like, oh, yeah, that's a problem, but I'm way stronger than that. And we are required by God to do the same thing. We need to have that same type of recognition in our own lives. Because too often, we as Christians, as people who are empowered by God, too often we live like sheep. We act like we have no power to change this world. We let our problems fill us with fear. We let the people around us ruin our days. We let sin and the forces of the enemy drag us down and fill us with guilt. And we live in a world, and this is the bigger part, is we live in a world where we are taught to think and act like sheep. We are taught to be meek and gentle, tolerant, and not to speak up. Don't stand up for what you believe in. Don't be bold in your prayers. Don't have faith for too much. You'll get let down. We let sin and the forces of this world and the people who are (laughs) under the control of the devil shove us around. And we've been taught to act like sheep. And we need, we need to snap out of that. We need to snap out of our sheepish state and realize that we are spiritually lions. We are empowered by God to be mighty and strong. We have been given God's great and mighty power to fight and win in this life. God has given us tremendous spiritual authority as Christians. We are the recipients of the Holy Spirit who is incredibly powerful. We have power from God. We have authority from Jesus. We are like lions who have the ability to defeat any wolf that we face. So let's get practical. What are the wolves you're facing now? What are the problems in your life that you're facing? What are the struggles that you have? Is it, a, is it the wolf of a cold, distant marriage? Is it the wolf of financial insecurity? Is it the wolf of sickness and disease? What does God want you to do to stand up to them? Are you letting them intimidate you? Uh, for some of us, we might just be called to overcome our fears. For some of us, the act of courage that we have to do is we might, be, uh, we might be required to step out and share the gospel. We can get so filled with fear. 
This is something I've noticed. Our culture fills us with fear about sharing our faith with people. What if they reject me? What if they, don't? What if they disagree with me? What if they have questions? What if they have counterpoints? What do I do? So we don't say anything. We're fearful about sharing our faith because what if we have all these questions? And we have these concerns about what do they say? Isn't their salvation more important than those questions? Should not we, should not we be a little bit courageous about this? <laughs> or what if it's money, financial insecurity? Are we letting fear of lack run our lives? Or, will we, or can we choose to instead trust that God will provide for all of our financial needs? He said he would. He said he would. He said he would never lack any of our needs. For others, God might be calling us to something a bit more practical. Your courageous act might be restoring a relationship, something that's been broken, and you need to go apologize or rectify it or be the bigger person, which is all kinds of fun. Maybe God's calling you to do that or at least attempt to restore it. Maybe it's to share the gospel with the friend who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's to stand up for your beliefs, even when those around us disagree. And each of these require courage, a commitment to Jesus, no matter the cost. Let me close with this thought. Told us, they told us in seminary, never, and use your closing illustration, never introduce new material. I'm disobeying that this week. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. In the end of Revelation, Jesus over and over again says to the churches, I'll just read the whole verse. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant you to the tree of life. And if you look at each of the seven churches that he addresses, he says, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes. He promises to those who overcome, Great blessings in heaven. Let me tell you guys something. You can't be a conqueror without conquering and overcoming an opponent. You don't conquer without a fight, and you don't fight without courage. So if we are ever going to achieve the mighty, thing God, mighty things that God wants and expects of us, we need to snap out of our sheepishness. We need to live like the lions that God's made. Because he hasn't given us the Holy Spirit so we can sit in church and twiddle our thumbs. He's given us his power. He's given us his authority so that we can go out and accomplish the things that he's called us to do. Amen? Let me pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to bring some light to this situation. Holy Spirit, I invite your presence on everyone listening, whether they're in this room or scattered throughout the world. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would touch the lives of the people who are listening. First of all, help us to focus on you instead of our problems. Help us to realize how much you love us and how much authority and power you've put in our lives. But Lord, I ask for more specific than that. I ask that you would put on everyone's heart here. Touch their hearts in such a way that they would know what you are calling them to courageously undertake. Point out to them a relationship, a fear, whatever it is, Lord. Point it out to them and fill them with faith and confidence that you, will, that you are stronger and that you will be their support. Thank you for all these people. And I ask your blessing on them. Help us to follow you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.